Thank you for tuning in to Trinity Baptist Temple's podcast. I'm Pastor Kyle Dinsmore, and I pray today's sermon is a blessing to you as you continue to seek the Lord and follow His will for your life. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact us. God bless you. Last week in this message, uh, we saw a couple of Uh, More encouraging points. Number one, last week was strive to live a blameless life for Christ. And point number two was strive to receive God's word as truth and allow it to effectively work in you. Uh, The Thessalonians did this in the midst of great persecution. Again, that's what we saw last week. And the question that I asked for all of us to answer was, how do we do this in the midst of absolute freedom? We have uh, unprecedented freedom in America. And how do we uh, strive to receive God's word as truth and let it effectively live or work out in our lives. So uh, we're going to move forward this week and hopefully be encouraged, be challenged. So let's pray and we'll do that. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for the music already. Thank you for allowing us to gather in your name again. Thank you for this freedom. Lord, help us never take it for granted. Uh, this special time to gather as a body, even if it's for a short while, uh, so many hours in the week, seven days in a week. And Lord, the times that we get together as, as your people together, so important, especially as the time draws nigh uh, to your return and the times get worse in this world. I pray that we would cling closer to you and closer to each other uh, to be stronger as your vessels, stronger as your ambassadors in this world. And uh, God, we ask you to move tonight. Uh, just move in our, in our midst, be present. Uh, we want, to, want you to be glorified. I simply want to be used as a vessel in your word to go out and affect every single one of our lives the way that you intend for it to affect us, Lord. And we'll praise you for all of it, and we ask and pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 is where we're going to pick up. It says this, But we, brethren, being taken from, taken from you for a short time in presence, but not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire, wherefore we would have come unto you, Even I, Paul, once and again, time and time again, but Satan hindered us. Now, just remember this. Paul wanted to be there with with the Thessalonians. They had to leave prematurely because the people were trying to attack them, trying to run them out of town. You remember this. They go to Berea. The people in Thessalonica chase after them to Berea uh, to try to silence them, to try to to shut them up in prison. And... um, Paul had to end up going to Athens and, and, and furthermore to Corinth. And so this was something he was desiring to do. He was desiring to be back with them because he knew they had just come to faith and that if they were persecuted, that the Thessalonians were being persecuted too as brand new believers. Um, one of the things that we share with people most of the time whenever they come to faith, especially if they've not been in church, they haven't been taught the Word of God before, is that whenever you get saved, you need to expect the enemy to attack you. You need to be ready that the enemy is going to try to get you off the course that you've determined to follow uh, as far as following Jesus Christ. Um, Not only that, I I share that with people who surrender their lives to full-time ministry. Uh, Every single person that's come through this church since I've been here uh, has said, you know, I feel like God's calling me into full-time ministry. I tell them, look, I'm not trying to discourage you because I praise God that you're surrendering your life. But I want to just give you this warning. No, right now, Satan's coming after you. He's coming after you. He's going to try to take you down and get you off that course of wanting to serve the Lord full time with all of your life, uh, all the time. And so uh, we know that this is true. Paul knew this was going to be true of the Thessalonians, not only from personal experience there, 
But again, knowing that that's the case, Satan wants to knock new believers off the course of following Christ. And so he says, look, we want to be with you. Even though we're not there face to face, our heart never left you. We have this desire to be close to you, to be with you, to make sure that you're okay, to make sure that Satan, his attacks don't take full effect in your life. Uh, But we want to be there. Matter of fact, we would have been there. We would have, we would have shown up there and encouraged you and, and loved on you. We've done it time and time again. That was our heart. That's where our heart is. But he says these words, but Satan hindered us. Paul doesn't use himself very often in his, in his uh, letters to the churches, but right here, he kind of, st- we, we know that the Bible says this. He said this to Timothy, all scripture is given by God as, by inspiration. So we know that it's God breathed to these men. Paul was simply a vessel. God used both his personality and his pen to write down what God inspired. Uh, But it was God inspired. But there's occasional, uh, occasionally we'll see these personalities shine through in the letters. And here's one of those times where Paul's being inspired by the Holy Spirit, but gets very personal. There's other times where he says, I speak as a man, or I speak according to the flesh. Uh, But here he's saying, listen, I want to be with you. We would have been with you to encourage you and to help defend, you know, defend you and fend off the enemy. Me, even Paul, he says, I, I, want it. I want to be there. Not just the missionary team, not just people representing me, but I wanted to be there with you. But Satan hindered us. Sometimes uh, that has been very real and very clear and very difficult uh, for the followers of the way, for the followers of Jesus Christ from the very beginning uh, to understand. And that is this opposition from the enemy of God. And, and you say, why, why is that hard to understand? Uh, because we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. We've surrendered to follow him. We said, I, I, I'm, I'm your child. You're, you're to protect me. You're to, to defend me. You're to, to be my sword, my shield, my strength, my song, everything. And when we decide that, all of a sudden these attacks come against us. And we're like, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening now? Why are we going through this? Why am I going through this? Uh, but again... Jesus was very clear when he was talking to his disciples on this matter. He said in John chapter 10, Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and shall go in and out and find pasture. But the thief cometh not, but for to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I'm come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. We went through Ephesians um, in the the study that we did through that. And we saw very clearly when we're going through the the armor of God, who the enemy is. I want to remind you of that in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. It says this, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. In Revelation chapter 12, we see an end time picture of what Satan's work looks like right now uh, and moving up to that time. And what, what his work looks like is this, that he's the accuser of the brethren, accusing them before God night and day, day and night. So Satan's able to have this access, and I don't understand it, I don't know why, but he has this access to, to God, and he's able to accuse the brethren night and day before the presence of God. Now, we're told in Revelation that, 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 that they get kicked out. Him and all, all the demons, that they get kicked out, and, and, and that's a done deal. That's not happening anymore. But that's the case right now, just as it was with Job. Job was before, I mean, uh, Satan was before jo- uh, God, 
and saying, let me have at Job. Let, let, me, let, me, let me at him and let me destroy his life and see if he doesn't turn his back on you. And Job being the most righteous person in the land at that point in time, God says, okay, we know what happens to Job. He loses everything as far as this world is concerned, other than his wife. Then there's a, there's a, a, a humorous bit concerning that. Um, there's a, a comedian, some of you know, he was talking about how, how, what does that say that Satan took everything except for his wife? <laughs> and um, we say, well, you know, that's not everybody's wife, but what does that say about Job's wife? <laughs> you know, and, um, but it, it's just so, so interesting that Satan has this access, Satan has this ability, and he's not only having this ability, but he's capitalizing on this opportunity uh, to not only accuse us, but to try to hinder the work of God. And Paul makes it very clear, that's the reason why we haven't come to you. That's the reason why we haven't come back to you, to check on you, to help you, to, to encourage you in your new faith in Jesus Christ. And I think this is such an interesting subject, because there's no question in my mind that Paul and his team were following the will of God. They were following the direction of the Holy Spirit. Matter of fact, at one point in time, the Macedonian call said, whoa, there's a vision, go, go, go to Macedonia. Again, there's no doubt in my mind they were following God's direction and God's will. They were being led of the Spirit. So the question, the reason why it's so interesting, the question is this. How is it that Satan gets credit for this? And how is it that Satan was effective in hindering them in this? Think about that. Same, same thing in our lives. You're doing God's will. You're, you're trying to serve God, man. You're reading your Bible. You're praying. You're faithful to church. You're, you're serving other people. You're giving the gospel out. You look across the, the, the spectrum of your Christian walk, and you're saying, I feel like I'm doing everything I can do as a child of God to be who God's called me to be and to contribute to his kingdom the way he call, he's called all of his children to, to contribute. And I feel like I'm doing that. But every time that I try to say, okay, I want to do more, God, or, or every time that it feels like I, I kind of stand on my feet, the enemy comes along. Something comes along, a, a circumstance, and my relationship, my kids, my work, my finance, everything. Something comes along and, and feels like it hinders me from moving forward in my faith. And this is something that we have to understand. Any hindrance to doing God's will is very clearly an opposition to the will of God. And therefore, it's clearly from the enemy of God. So when Paul says Satan hindered us, we don't know who that person was, how, what form that looked like. We don't know if it was uh, some people keeping Paul where he was or other circumstances. We don't know what that is. But he gives very clear credit to Satan be the one, being the one that hinders them. And that would fall under uh, the allowance of a sovereign God. It's similar to this. We are the children of God. We've been saved, been forgiven. We are not serving sin anymore, not supposed to serve sin anymore. We're supposed to serve God. And yet why, as his children, do we still sin? If we're his, we're no longer ours, we're bought with a, we're bought with a price. Because again, God is sovereign. And there are certain things that in his sovereignty he's allowed. It doesn't necessarily mean that he's pleased with. Uh, but that is allowed. And while we don't necessarily understand why this has occurred uh, in our lives or why it occurs in, in life period, why it occurred in Paul's life, without a doubt, God is still right and God is still worthy of trust even when it happens in our life. 
So when you go and you say, I, I feel like I'm devoting everything I can to the Lord, and something comes along and, and it feels like it knocks you off your feet. It feels like it discourages you and, and, and I just feel like giving up. I feel like just pulling back. I feel like disengaging. I, I feel like all those things just know that God is still right. God is still worthy of trust. And just because this attack or this hindrance has come in our life doesn't mean that we pull back. We don't see that with Paul. We don't see that just because Satan hindered them from doing what he felt like he needed to do and what he wanted to do. Paul doesn't say, you know what, we're just going to kind of sit here and wallow in our self-pity. We're just going to, we're going to try to, I don't know, maybe we're doing everything wrong because we wanted to do this and Satan comes against us and we can't do this. Maybe everything's wrong. And I know sometimes that's where the mind goes and the heart goes in our walk of faith with Christ today. We also don't understand what, again, or who was involved with this. But regardless, if it was a person or circumstances, it was being attributed to Satan, the enemy of God. And again, the same thing happens to us, I said already. People can be used as instruments of the enemy himself, even without them knowing. Even Christians. Even Christians can be used as instruments of the enemy because they yield themselves as instruments of unrighteousness. And not just in their own life, but again, affecting other people's lives to the detriment of other believers. And if you've been a Christian in any amount of time, you've been in church in any amount of time, you've either experienced this, both on the giving or the receiving, or you've seen it. Christians can damage other Christians. Christians can damage lost people from coming to the Lord because of what they're yielding themselves as instruments to be. And that's exactly what Romans chapter 6 says. Paul said in verse 8, Now if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So let not sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Now listen to what he says in verse 13. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Now Paul wouldn't have... Uh, in, in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, commanded them to take this action imperatively. He says, listen, don't yield yourself as an, instrument, as an instrument of unrighteousness, but yield yourself as an instrument of righteousness unto God. It's a choice you have to make. It's a choice to, be, to yield ourselves to unrighteousness to help fulfill what Satan desires, or it's a choice to yield ourselves to God daily to fulfill what he wants to fulfill and, and accomplish through us and in us uh, every day as well. But he goes on and says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under the grace. What then? Because you're not under law, you're under grace, shall we sin? Because we're not. He says, Absolutely not. God forbid. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourself servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. And in this way, 
God is not to be blamed even when we see his children make choices to sin and to be instruments of unrighteousness. Again, that's not his will. He allows it. But we need to understand who's behind it. It's so hard for that to, to stay in our mind. It's so hard for us to keep that heart set because whenever another Christian, another believer yields themselves as an instrument of unrighteousness and it hurts us, it discourages us, it disenchants us, you know, makes us want to disengage. Well, I, I don't really want to be a part. I, I feel like just staying home. I, I don't. Whenever that happens as an instrument of unrighteousness, we have to understand what Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 said. We're not wrestling against flesh and blood. Even when it's a lost person that comes against us and tries to hinder us from doing the will of God, we have to understand it's not about that lost person. There's a clear enemy of God. And he says who it is in, in, in the word of God. And it's Satan. And so we, even as believers, need to remember that when other believers maybe yield themselves, when, when, other, when other people come against us, when other things and situations come against us, we have to remember, point number one, Satan is the cause of all hindrance to the will of God. Now again, doesn't mean that people aren't vessels and people aren't instruments and that people don't make choices and people don't get in the flesh. I, absolutely true. You, just as we saw, there's a choice that we have every day to yield to the flesh, to, to fulfill the lust of the flesh, as Galatians chapter 5 says, as uh, Romans chapter 6 says, we have a choice to yield ourselves as mem members of unrighteousness or to righteousness. Yes, the flesh plays a part. Yes, we have choices as, as Christians. People who are lost make choices. They can't make a choice to, to, to do righteous uh, or to obey God because they're lost and, and, and they're dead in their trespasses and sins. However, we have to remember there is a clear enemy of God. Whether he's using a lost person, whether a, a saved person is getting in their flesh and he uses that person in their flesh, the key is this in, in Romans chapter 6, instruments. Don't yield yourself to be an instrument of unrighteousness unto sin. Don't, don't, don't let yourself get in the flesh to do what you want to do, because the moment that you get in the flesh to do what you want to do, and whatever reason that is, you now have become an accessible tool to the enemy of God. And I don't know about you, but, but that makes me sick to my stomach. I, I, I don't want to be used by the enemy of God, the one that I've already seen cause so much damage and destruction and, and, and lives and churches and, and I don't want to do anything to, to give him anything. And that's the mind that every Christian should take on. We should realize that Satan is the cause of all hindrances to the will of God. But what does it look like? How, how do those hindrances manifest themselves? We already talked about people. It could be lost people. It could be Christians. But I think there's other things that can become hindrances that Satan can use in this world to become hindrances to the, to the will of God. For instance, a job opportunity. It's, it's a difficult thing. And so I'm going to have to be, I'm going to have to miss gathering together with the saints of God. But it'll mean this much more money for me and my family. I, 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 I want to take this opportunity to take this job, but it's going to mean that I'm never hardly going to be at home 
to be the father and the husband, be the mother, the wife. Satan can use anything. And he'll use, a jo- he'll use this world like that. Because he's the prince and the power of this world, the Bible says. And he has access to this world, and he will use anything. He will use money, opportunities, jobs. He'll use everything and anything he can to hinder the will of God, which the will of God includes the people of God doing the will of God. So he'll use anything to keep us from doing the will of God, including a job opportunity or a job period. He'll also use a family activity. I want to say this because it's been discussed uh, many times before, and we're coming up on a worker meeting, and we talk about this. We want to encourage uh, a connection and faithfulness to the body and the gathering of the body of Christ. But understand this. Uh, we, we, you, you've heard me say this, and I want to say it again tonight. Our church, I believe, takes off somewhere around 15 Sunday p.m. services a year. And there's 52 weeks in a year. That's a lot of services for a, an independent Baptist church to take off. But we have that time to take off very specifically for our families and very specifically for our workers, the people that are week in and week out, working six, five, six days a week, some of them 10, 12, 14 hours a day and come to church and pour themselves out to other people. And it's just periodic times when there's special services or there's holidays on a Monday that we say, you know what, we're going to take this time and you spend it with your family. You, 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 you spend it to rest. Um, we'll come and gather Sunday morning. We'll worship the Lord. We'll gather around his word. But those other times, use them. Take that opportunity uh, to, to gather. And so what, what Satan's really good at, and not just get the, the gathering of the church and, and, and church worship services, but anything, whether it be telling people about Christ, whether it be uh, doing, you know, being a witness at your job or, or anything. He, he, he will use anything, and he'll use family. He'll use family activities to hinder the will of God. And that's something we've got to be privy to. We've got to be understanding that Satan, again, this world is at his disposal, and he'll use anything and anyone. He'll use a contrary child, and I don't know why the Lord put this on my heart, but I just put it down because he put it on my heart. And I began to pray and think about this. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, I, mean, I know what it means, but, and I began to think, well, you know, we, we have a lot of things coming out of our, coming at our kids today. Um, just as we recently said, technology, there's a bunch of junk out in the world. And there's a bunch of things vying for both their affection and their attention in this world. And it's not just the things they see on TV. It's not just the stuff they're, they're getting, uh, social media and internet. It's also at schools with their friends. There's, there's so many things pulling at our kids today. And all, all Satan needs is to get into that, 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 that kid's life, that child, and, and to pull their affection away from God, to pull their attention away from God. And, and, and listen, he'll use you and, and me as parents to do it as well as bad examples to those kids. And the next thing we know, why did my kids not want to go to church? Why did my kid not want to do anything concerning the church? Well, number one, we could maybe look at ourselves first. But number two, we have to understand, maybe the enemy is using the kid to be a hindrance in our life as supposed to be the spiritual leaders of that kid to keep us from doing the will of God as a family. 
And I, and, I, and I began to think about this and pray about this. And being in the youth ministry uh, for 10 years, and not only that, being in ministry uh, for the time that I have now, and seeing families deal with, with kids and teenagers go through these things, I've seen so many parents give in to contrary children. And as I shared my testimony uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, there was a time when I was a teenager that my attention was not on the Lord. It was more on a girl. And I, I wanted to go to that church because my mindset was our church didn't have what they had. My parents let that happen one time. And they said, that's it. No more. You're not going to do it anymore. And on that moment, I, I felt kind of contrary. Uh, I was like, you know what? But we don't have anything. You know, we had something. But in my, I was saying, we don't have anything. We don't, we don't get to do anything. Our youth doesn't do anything. And uh, I was just contrary. And parents have a choice. Parents have an option. We can either let those kids keep us from the, the will of God, hinder us, uh, from being who we're supposed to be, and we can also facilitate that in how we lead our families and them becoming those contrary children on the other side. Uh, number, number four is this, a relationship or potential relationship. Um, I was sharing with someone the other night, uh, if I could tell you how many times that uh, we've seen both young people graduate high school or um, be young adults and get impatient in their relationships and say, I'm going to leave and go find a spouse. I can't tell you how many times that's happened. But I can tell you the success rate has been almost 0% success rate. To go out of the, to, to say, you know what, I'm going to do something that I, I'm going to pursue. I'm going to do this on my own accord, my own will. I'm going to go find a spouse. And that's why they leave the church. You know, not because of college or because uh, you know, something else, but that's there. I'm going to go out and do, I'm going to make it happen for myself. Almost every time it's resulted in failure. And uh, that's a hindrance to the will of God. Uh, we can allow those things to happen. And as I said a little bit earlier, a job opportunity, but also a job requirement, job ultimatum. I don't know if you've ever faced this before. I've talked to people about this before. My job tells me if I don't do this, and I don't have a job. If I don't do this, then I won't be able to do this. Again, and it's pulling you away from the things of God. It's pulling you away from being who you should be as a child of God. That's, the, that's what I'm talking about. And those things Satan can use and uh, can be a hindrance, use it as a hindrance of the will of God. But be it known, Satan is at the root of it all. Anytime something tries to come in the way and, and, and hinder you from being who you're supposed to be and doing, who you're supposed to, doing what you're supposed to do as a child of God, you have to know that Satan is at the root of it. Again, he'll use anything and anyone. We have to be in tune that. So the next time uh, a church member uh, maybe hurts your feelings, rubs you the wrong way, you get discouraged by church, remember, maybe it's because they said something or did something or didn't say something or didn't do something. Remember, maybe they yielded themselves as an instrument of unrighteousness and Satan took advantage and the opportunity to affect your life, to hinder you from keeping your focus on the Lord and doing what you're supposed to do. But here's a side note. Demon possession um, is without question real. So since we're talking about Satan and his enemy, or his, his team, and we're talking about being hindered uh, in the will of God, uh, I've, Lord, impressed my heart to, to 
talk about this a little bit. Uh, so without question, demon possession is real. However, I believe, personally believe, now there's no scriptural evidence. I'm not saying that. So I'm just going to tell you what I believe by what I see. And you can say, I disagree with you. I'm perfectly fine with that. Uh, but here's what I believe. I believe Satan doesn't necessarily use demon possession, specifically in America and countries like it, as much as he did in, in Christ's days. And uh, you say, I disagree. I think there's demon possession all over the place. Okay, cool. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's not cool. But if that's what you believe, that's great. Uh, but I personally believe that he, he doesn't necessarily do that in America and places like America. Um, and the reason why is he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to. Again, not saying that it doesn't exist. Not saying that it doesn't even exist in America. But his need to disturb God's will with demon possession of people to disrupt God's work and God's people, I, I think, isn't as needed. And the reason why is I believe his tools have been sharpened by men, even within the church. I believe that we see a lot of tools at the disposal of the enemy, and they work, and they are working. And so why would Satan need to possess people if hindering God's work and hindering God's will is already working for him in what he's doing? I mean, why would he have to do that if what he's doing is already working? So what are you talking about? See, I believe his tools, with the help of his demons, have been things like entertainment, activities, comfort, pleasure, busyness, money, false doctrines, false churches, tares among the wheats. I, again, I believe he has used things and people and ways in America that Christians, maybe, maybe, we, maybe we should use quotes, Christians, preoccupied with themselves, preoccupied with their own plan, preoccupied uh, with, with what they want to do, with what their family's doing, Christians preoccupied with those things, and maybe out of true fellowship with God, out of step with God's plan, out of step with his church, which is his plan, have potentially been the sharpest tool and the most effective tool in hindering God's people and hindering God's will from being accomplished. And I've shared this before. We have to realize other Christians are not the standard that we are to be striving for. So when you look around this room and you say, listen, I may not be in step with God. I may not be in step with the church. I may not be everything I'm supposed to be as a member of this. But so-and-so, eh, <laughs> wrong. You know, I'm doing all this stuff, but so-and-so never, eh, wrong. No, that other Christians are not the standard that we're supposed to be striving for. Who and what is the standard? Jesus. Jesus is our standard. He said, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Jesus is the standard. So I want to say this, and I want you to hear this. Don't judge your Christian success by other Christians. So when you say, I feel like I'm doing pretty good, because when I look around the church, whew, I mean, I mean, look, 
That's not what, that's not what we're called to do. That's not what our standard is. Again, we can't say, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. I know what so-and-so is doing on the weekends, and I'm not doing that. That's not the standard. Well, so-and-so does this, or so-and-so doesn't do this. That's not the standard. The standard is Jesus Christ for every single one of us. So then we come to the subject of leaders. Leaders are absolutely according to God's will. We see that throughout Scripture, both the Old Testament and New Testament. Leaders are in place to follow, or they wouldn't be leaders. But leaders are to be followed as long as they are following and pointing you to Christ as well. And that's where it can get very discouraging because even in churches like ours, we can have leaders who aren't setting the examples that they should be setting. Leaders can fall short. Leaders can miss the mark. And that's not acceptable for leadership because leadership should be striving to be examples for everyone. But as I've said before, Paul said to the Corinthian church, follow me as I follow Christ. That was, that was the standard of people following his leadership. If I'm following Christ, then follow me. But if I'm not following Christ, you should still be following Christ. He's the standard. Again, leadership can kill a lot of things. Leadership can, can, leadership can be the hindrance to the will of God. And I believe in many churches, in many respects, that's exactly what's happening today. Leadership is hindering the will of God. But back in our text, I'm going to move on, close this up. Verse 19, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Again, Paul's already said, we want to be with you. We miss you. We would be there in, present with you, in, in presence with you. We would do it time and time again. That's how bad we want to be with you. But Satan hindered us. And then he says this, because you've got to know our hearts. What's our hope, our joy, our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. Wherefore, when we could no longer forbear, we thought it good to, uh, to be left at Athens alone. And so we sent Timotheus, our brother and minister of God, and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ, to establish you, to disciple you, and to comfort you concerning your faith. That no man should be moved by these afflictions, the afflictions they were suffering for following Jesus Christ. For yourselves know that we are appointed thereunto, appointed to the afflictions of this world, in this world, because we're following Christ. He says, for verily, truly, when we were with you, we, were told, we told you before that we should suffer tribulation. He warned them. Remember what I said in the beginning? When we, we talked to new believers and talked to people going into the ministry. We said, hey, get ready. Because now that you've decided to follow Christ, hey, now that you've decided to give your life full-time to ministry, uh, to serving God, know the enemy's going to come against you. Know that he's going to attack you. That's what Paul was saying. Remember, when we were with you, we were suffering affliction, and we told you, you're going to go through tribulation. Jesus said, in this life, you shall have tribulation. In this world, you shall have tribulation. And so he says, listen, we were there. We told you that you're going to suffer tribulation. And even as it came to pass, and you know, it, it happened. And you're experiencing it. There's tribulation. You're suffering affliction because you're following Jesus Christ. And he says this, for this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith lest by some means the tempter might, uh, have tempted you and our labor be in vain. Paul was overwhelmed. He was burdened. 
Again, he was saying, look, we had to go, we had to send Timothy to check on you and to make sure that you were discipled and that nothing that came against you, no attack of the enemy, no affliction, no tribulation, nothing was going to shake you off your faith. Nothing was going to keep you from being steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That's why we did that. And so I, I, when I couldn't forbear it anymore, I couldn't take it anymore, we sent to know to make sure that the tempter didn't knock you off course, and then all of the time and all of the labor that we invested was in vain. And I, and I, and I want to put that to you tonight. There's Sunday school teachers. There's leaders and, and, and teachers and pastors and people maybe in your life, other leaders that have invested and, and, and taught and prayed and walked and, and encouraged and, and met with and all these things. And I want to encourage you tonight. Don't let the tempter knock you off the course of your faith. There's been a lot of people invest in you. There's been a lot of people invest in me. And we don't want any of the labor that's been done in the Lord to be done in vain. And that's what Paul was saying. Listen, we we got to make sure that we don't let the enemy knock you off course. That's why we had to send some people. But for the apostle Paul, this church... The people were most important. Reaching the lost, the souls, and not only that, caring for the saved. The example that they left in Thessalonica, the faith that they were to follow was vital, and that was most important to Paul. Paul was essentially saying this to these believers. When life is over and we stand in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming, you Thessalonians, will be the source of our joy and our glory because you mean so much to us. And your right standing with God and your living after that pattern is so important. But in our progressive, secular, humanistic, man is the authority, man is the source, we do our own thing, our plan is most important type society that we live in right now, we can easily lose sight of this profound truth that Jesus Christ, God in the flesh, died for us. He shed his blood for us. And we are the blood-bought church of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We are his body. We, We are his people according to his plan. We are his church according to his plan, not our own. I think in this society we live in, we can lose sight of the importance of keeping the faith together as his church. That was his design. That was his will. That is still his will. That you and I keep the faith together as both a local body and as the body of Christ. That's, that's, and again, Paul was writing to the church of the Thessalonians. Look back in chapter 1. That's what he addressed. He wasn't saying, listen, I'm really concerned about so-and-so and so-and-so. There's times that he says, hey, address these people, take care of this situation. These people are a distraction. These people are a hindrance. He, he does that in certain letters. But he's writing to the churches that, that are receiving these letters, re- reading these letters, and are supposed to follow these letters together in carrying out the will of God. And so with this, I believe that you and I can easily lose sight of eternal matters concerning the gospel, concerning discipleship, and we can easily lose sight 
that those things matter most. Those things matter most, that souls matter most. If, if we don't believe that as blood-bought saints, as a member of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we don't believe that souls matter, then why do we care that we go to heaven or hell? If we care about our own eternal salvation, our own eternal destiny, then why, why don't we have the perspective that, that those things, that souls matter most in this world? And a note that I had in Sunday's notes that we didn't really get to cover it most, again, stood out to me at this point. And so that's point number two, to encourage us, to challenge us. And it's, that, it's this, eternal matters matter most. Or they're supposed to matter most. Things concerning the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, things like souls, the gospel, discipleship, those things in our life as the blood-bought church, those things in our life as the blood-bought saints of Jesus Christ, those things as, again, people who care about whether we go to heaven or hell, so much so that we trust Jesus Christ alone, those things should matter most in our life. When people look at our lives, they should say, those people care about souls. That should be evident in our life. That should be evident in our gathering. That should be evident in our worship. That should be evident in our work. That should be evident in everything. That eternal matters matter most to the people of God. Why? Because we believe what Jesus said. We believe that he's the only way, that he's the truth, and he's the life, and that no man comes to the Father but by him. Eternal matters matter most or should matter most. But second, Paul couldn't bear the thought. As I said a while ago, that Satan could have got in there and knock these new believers off their course. Why? Why did Paul care about that? Because eternal matters mattered most. Paul knew that it wasn't just about those new believers, but it was about those believers who might reach other lost souls. That's why it mattered, because eternal matters mattered most to Paul. Paul was concerned with the steadfastness of this next generation of believers. Paul had been a Christian for a while. These were new converts. They were in the next generation of believers. And so he was concerned about their spiritual development. He was concerned about their spiritual health. And it was what he was living for. It was what he was concerned about. Listen to this. Just as a Christian parent should be concerned about the spiritual health, welfare, and maturity of their own children. To both produce and reproduce in the kingdom of God, or as every parent should. So let me just put it like this. If you're a parent here tonight, and you're a, you're a Christian, what should matter most to you, and what should matter most to me, is the spiritual maturity, the spiritual health of our children. Not whether they're successful in this world, not whether they're liked by their peers, not by any of those things. Our greatest concern as Christians who believe in a heaven and a hell, who believe there's only one way to heaven, our, our number one concern, our number one should be how, how spiritually healthy are my children? And how, and how are they growing spiritually? It's okay to have plans in this world. It's okay to have ambitions. It's okay to have goals and to plan for those goals. I want to go to this college. I want to do this. I want to do those things. But as a parent, there should be no greater concern than the concern of our spiritual, the spiritual welfare of our kids. 
Why? Why? I mean, don't we want them to be able to to grow up and support themselves and not live off of mom and dad for the rest of their lives and and, and go on and, and, and even take care of us in our older years? I mean, that's a big deal to the fleshly, worldly mind, but to the renewed spiritual mind. The one that has been born again and washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. The one that has a member of, a, 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 of the kingdom of God. The one that understands that eternity is real, both heaven and hell. That person, eternal matters matter most. Eternal matters matter most. But notice, as I close this up, he's, he's not mentioned the concern about their jobs. Nothing in this letter has been about, look, I hope that nothing's impeded on your, your work schedule. I hope nothing has really affected your, your finances as you've decided to follow Jesus Christ. Uh, he, he's not said anything about that. He's not said anything about their worldly standing or their worldly success. Paul has not addressed any concern about those things at all. He's not mentioned any conflict that may have, may have come into their lives now that they have decided to follow Jesus Christ. Now, maybe, well, I, I know some of you are involved in this and some of you are involved with that and some of you really love doing that and I, I hope that it's not too much of an impediment on, on your activities and, your, and the way that you were living your life before now that you're following Jesus. Paul says nothing about that. Or maybe how their entertainment I know you like to listen to that. I know you like to watch that. I know like you, you like to go out and do those things before. And, and I hope it's not too big of a deal now that you're following Christ that you're not doing those things or that, that it looks bad. Paul just said nothing like that. Nothing. His concern was that they were staying on course spiritually. And how that, how that revolved around the church in Thessalonica. Why though? Because I believe Paul believed what Jesus said, and I believe that Paul taught what Jesus said to those, that church as well as the other churches that, that were started. Specifically this, Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Many of you know it. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Don't seek what the, the Gentiles seek. Don't seek what people of this world seek. Don't, don't seek all the things that are even the needs. Don't pursue those things. Pursue the kingdom of God. Pursue his righteousness. First and foremost, above all things, the number one concern in your life, the number one priority, the number one matter that should matter most is the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And that should not just be something you say with your mouth, but that is seen in your actions. Again, this wasn't done in isolation. Paul didn't expect it to be done in isolation, but in the context of both the individual life as they were walking with Christ themselves, but also in the context of the church. There's no question that our strength is found in Christ. There's no question that his strength is made perfect, even in our weakness. There's no, no question. The Bible says that the truth is our strength as well. That we seek individually, but also in the context of the church together. That's why we're here tonight. That's why we gather on Sundays. That's why we could gather every single day like the first church did. 
is they realize this is God's design. The context of community, koinonia, the, the context of togetherness and sharing life and living life on mission, his mission, not our mission, not the world's mission, but seeking first the kingdom of God. Where they stay in the course. That's what Paul was concerned about. Where they keep in the faith. Where they're doing it together as the church of Thess- the Thessalonians. I want to say this tonight as the musicians come. We should care about each other that way. And listen, please listen. We should desire to see each other that way. When we don't desire to be together that way, did you hear what Paul said? Man, I wanted to come to you time and time again. I was so concerned about you. And, and, and listen, I, I want to say this. Too often or not, when it comes to a, a matter of gathering together as the body of Christ, I would say this. A lot of people are not concerned about other people, whether they're there or not there. Most of the time, it's a concern about them. Paul said, listen. I'm concerned about you. Paul had his own problems. He had his own troubles. He, even his own struggles. He says, man, I want to be with you. I want to encourage you. And so I, I don't really know anybody that I'm encouraging. Listen, there are new believers in this place. That they may encounter you. They may shake your hand. They may get to know you. They may know who you are. And, and when they don't see you or they're not, they don't see the body gathered together, when the body is gathering together, you say, I just don't feel like I'm making an impact. I don't feel like it matters if I'm here or not. But Satan hindered us. Satan hindered us. Paul says, listen, somebody was used, something was used to keep us from being with you. But make no doubt, we wanted to be with you. And again, we should desire to be that way like Paul. But we can put temporal matters before the eternal as a standard for new believers and for this next generation. That's what we show them. And so I want to say this. We don't need to wonder whenever those young people graduate. We don't need to wonder when those new believers say, you know what, it's just not for me anymore. We don't need to wonder when, when, when the church is not as effective as what it could be. When if we can evaluate in our own life, we... Temporal matters matter more than the eternal. And they become teens. And all of a sudden, they don't want to have anything to do with church or the things of God. We don't need to wonder why. Sometimes it's there in the home. But it's also with other Christians. When they themselves face difficulties and they say, you know what, I just don't want to go. We don't need to wonder why. Again, we can look at ourselves and say this. It's because we didn't live it out. Because it's not enough to just say, yeah, yeah, sweetie, eternal matters matter most. It's not enough to say to that young boy, that young, that young girl, it's not enough to say to that teenager, hey, listen, eternal matters matter most. It's not enough to say it. They need to see it. When they see it in our lives, and as they saw it in Paul's life, and as he's writing to them, and they, this impacted them, Remember, their faith had been spread abroad. Paul was writing this in, 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 in the fact that these things that had already happened, their faith had spread. That Paul was like, man, you guys, your faith is, is, is being spread abroad. I'm hearing about it in places that we haven't even gone to. 
in the midst of great affliction, in the midst of great tribulation. And I believe the reason why the Thessalonians were living it out like that is because they saw in Paul and his missionary team that eternal matters matter most. And so my question tonight is this. That's what Paul was doing. We should all be doing that. But are we living our lives for this next generation of believers, the new believers in this church that have been saved and recently baptized and added to the church? Are they seeing in veteran Christians and leadership of this church, are they seeing eternal matters matter most? The things of God, God and his things, his kingdom, his righteousness, his plan, his gospel, his church, his worshiping him. Those things matter most. And is the next generation these young people sitting in this room, kids, the teens next door, are they seeing a mom and dad? Are they seeing in the leadership of this church? Are they seeing in grandpa and grandma? Hey, sweetie, eternal matters matter most. We're not just saying that, but you can see that in our life. And we're not being self-righteous about that, but we're trying to pursue Christ with everything so I want to challenge you tonight and I want to encourage you tonight let's make sure that we remember Satan's the source of all the hindrances to the will of God there's no question he's at the, he's at the root of it but also we have the opportunity to yield as members of righteousness or unrighteousness and we have a choice to not just say it with our mouth but live it with our lives that eternal matters matter most so let's, let's take that challenge. Let's take the Word of God, the example that we see here, and say, you know what? Some things need to change in my life. I need to start living this out, not just saying that. So that God uses me. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time. Thank you so much for the challenge that you gave, have given me in this message and, and both preparing it and, and preaching it tonight. Lord, I pray that you would accomplish this throughout this entire church. Lord, that we wouldn't try to separate your will from your word. That we wouldn't try to separate your will from your church. We wouldn't try to separate your will from, from anything concerning you. But that we would yield ourselves as members of righteousness unto you to accomplish the things you want us to accomplish in the context both of our lives individually and our families, but also our lives together as your church. Lord, help us show the next generation of believers. Help us show the next generation of, uh, uh, in society that eternal matters matter most. And help us never forget that the enemy is trying to stop this with everything he can. Trying to use every hindrance he can in our life. Help us keep our eyes focused on you. Help us seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. I pray you move tonight. We ask and pray all this in Jesus' name.